urbanization of America, connection to the farm has greatly suffered. But that vital connection to land is growing with interest from those a generation or two removed. The desire to know where food is grown is a healthy journey back to our roots. Let's travel that road, the road that fosters renewal. I'm Joey Bland, and from Circle O Productions, this is Seasons. Today, we continue our conversation from the downtown square in Fayetteville, Arkansas, with Carter Malloy, founder and CEO of Acre Trader. After learning of an ambitious and creative multi-job career beginnings, we now hear about how land transitioned from a sense of place to a vital food and fiber producer to a significant asset. So Carter, we've been talking about your education, uh, this drive that you have to create and really to solve problems. And so as you launched your business career, how did those things manifest themselves? Like where'd you start after uh, the band and after, uh, you know, the, the mechanic uh, jobs and working on engines? Where did it go from there? I was really fortunate in 2006 to get a, a chance interview with Stevens, uh, which is a middle market investment bank based out of Little Rock, Arkansas. I knew nothing about corporate finance, so I went and bought a textbook about corporate finance. Probably the only textbook I ever actually read, but I, but I read that thing cover to cover as yeah. fast as I could. And went in there, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh, went and bought a necktie, right? And wa- walked in and said, I, I want to be an investment banker. I want to go help companies do deals. I want to go learn about uh, larger businesses. I, I want to build businesses over time. This is a great way for me to learn and to understand all the various companies that are out there. And the person running the, uh, the place told me, like, hey, I don't think you're actually a fit for that investment banking division. Huh. You should go be in research, which my response was what the – what on earth is research? Yeah, uh, Sounds like a bunch of nerds in a closet reading books and studying. And pretty much that's exactly what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, so I spent seven years there researching equities. What that means is uh, I had a particular focus on companies in data analytics sectors and in the internet sector in general. So I would go study these businesses really, really in depth. I would get to interview your public companies, right? So uh, companies worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. Mm. Uh, in no world uh, was I would I have been able to interview the CEOs of those companies regularly. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I got to do is go study those businesses in depth and then write research on those companies. And then mutual funds and hedge funds, so people that invest your money, if you have a 401k uh, and or if you have a pension fund, they invest in hedge funds. Right, so let's do what colleges, endowments, et cetera, uh, local hospital. So I would advise those people on how to invest in my in my sector. Right, yep. so an investor from one of those companies would ask, "Hey, I, I, there's a specific company. I'd like to understand more about how they operate, what their margins are, and what you think their future earnings power is." So that that was my job there for seven years, and total luck that I fell into it, but. 
despite the fact that I had to wear a necktie to work every day for seven years, which yeah. I absolutely hated. Uh, I, I really, really loved the job a lot and was lucky yeah. to have a great company to work at and great, great uh, bosses and mentors there. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, being a nerd in a closet, it's interesting to me because you you apparently didn't think you would like that at the beginning. But again, it's it's this research. It's it's really a creative process of unveiling what's under the hood, right? That's correct. With something and and then kind of creatively putting that back together to explain to other people. So where'd you go from there? Where'd you go from Stevens? I had a few friends that, that were clients at, a, at a, the largest uh, West Coast hedge fund, um, and they were going to leave and go start a new company. And they came and asked me, hey, we're going to go do this. Uh, do you want to come join us? And so I joined those guys in 2013. So before they, they left their jobs, I joined them uh, pre-launch, pre-raising any money. So I was, was the first person to join the team, which ended up uh, being a out of pure luck, it was out on the West Coast, so I moved out to the West Coast, and uh, out of a lot, of, lot of hard luck, a lot of hard work. Right, it takes really hard work to get lucky. Right. We were fortunate to raise some real capital, so that that turned out to be uh, about a billion dollars of capital uh, wow. that, that we were managing at the fund. Wow, wow. So you were out there. You're out on the West Coast now. Left Fayetteville, uh, or left Little Rock, left Arkansas. And how long are you out there? I was there for five years. Okay. And, and uh, that was all spent for me basically betting on companies, right? So we were a very concentrated, very deep dive shop. And I, I did, uh, my investment focus was mostly the U.S. I did some Europe as well, uh, consumer. So thinking, thinking about things around retail uh, and technology and a little bit of industrial businesses. Where my specialty was uh, often was I got anything that was called middle of the country or what, what I would like endearingly call the redneck stuff. Yeah. Right. So uh, Polaris, if we we're going to go do work on Polaris, I spent months on Polaris or Brunswick that makes mercury outboard motors. Right. I absolutely. So it's really, really fun for me uh, to go dig into these things that were my own passions outside of work as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I assume you're assigned those. Um, not that I think you would fit in the category of a redneck, but you, um, you understand the vocabulary, I guess you yeah. can actually talk to people that are driving around on dirt roads and getting out of a pickup truck and yeah. you, you can identify with them. Yeah. I somehow ended up with this neutral accent. My, my dad, my mom's got this thick Texarkana accent. My dad's got a, you know, uh, East Arkansas accent. I can remember growing up and I would say yellow. My dad would be like, it's yellow. What, what, you know, like, I guess it was TV as a kid. I don't, I don't know if I ended up being neutral, but look, like I like to hunt. I like to be on dirt roads and spend a lot of my life out in the country. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I view the term redneck as one of a, a, a term of endearment. Sure. Right? Like, uh, it's a, a term that so many of us from rural communities can, can identify with. Right. And, and I, we'll get to this later, but a lot of what we do as a company is connecting people who are removed from those rural communities from zero generations to five generations, reconnecting them with land and with, with rural America. Right, right, yeah. Well, that, that's good. So in that time, now you're out on the West Coast. I assume that you're, you're um, coming back, visiting, you're getting back a couple of times of the year. I would assume maybe November to January <laughs> in that time frame since that's duck season. That's right. And trying to get back and enjoy a little bit of that with your family. 
uh, specifically November to January was uh, a lot of coming back home. That's correct. And uh, bringing my dog with me too, who's a, a hunting dog. So, uh, that, that's always a great time of year for me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what type of dog do you have? So he is one of these designer dogs. Uh, he's oh, here a, we go. I, I know, man. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question. Ugh. You know, is he a lab? No, he is, he is a labradoodle. Okay. Uh, and did that because my wife w- would not have a dog with dog with that sheds. Yep. And so this was the compromise and spent, side note, if you're ever getting a dog, spend time researching it, right? It's like getting to pick your kids. Huh. So like, should you go get a dog at the pound? That's the preferred method. Um, in, in my case, like I want a dog that I can train to be semi-professional hunting, yep. hunting yep. dog with me. And so, uh, spent six months like researching, calling, uh, cause you get to pick again, you have to live with this thing for 15 years. Yep. So I just started calling all these breeders, the bred labradoodles specifically looking for ones that had labs that had hunting, uh, you know, in, in their genes, I guess had, had parents or grandparents, grand dogs, whatever you call them. Yeah. They were hunters. And, uh, then would ask them for references. And I finally, I found this lady in South Carolina and she gave me a bunch of references to people that use these dogs to hunt and they were awesome. So, wow. uh, George is at my house now. He is 11 years old, but, uh, he was, he picked up birds. I think it was his last year, but he picked up birds this season. How about that? 11 years old. Did you train him yourself? Did you send him off? Both. So I, I did all the basic discipline and I sent him off for what's called force fetch, uh, to teach him to hold something in their mouth, which is a really difficult process. So yeah. sent him off for that. And then I taught him, uh, uh, pointing, right? So you, you blow a whistle and you point the dog left, right, or back to help direct them to where they're going yeah. in, a, in a field. So, and it built an incredible bond between us. Yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, man and dog bond is something that's one of the more special things in the world to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, designer dog. That's, <laughs> I uh, know, I know. I think that's the first time I've really heard that term. <laughs> At my house, I'm surrounded by these designer dogs, <laughs> the exact ones you're describing. So I see them in my front yard two to three times a day. That's great. Um, well, back to, so so you're on the West Coast, and and you're working with the startup. So you've had some experience. You moved from a very established corporate environment wearing a tie which i have a hard time seeing you <laughs> i have seen a couple of pictures of you with ties on and i'm going to say it looks awkward <laughs> because because i know you and i know how how comfortable and casual you are like i think your preferred attire is a hoodie <laughs> that jeans and a t-shirt man t-shirt That's... yeah so um but you go from this very structured you know a corporate environment with stevens to this startup environment which is a very different environment um so where where do you where do you launch from there so spent five years there uh, and, and and again love the job love the people i worked with yeah right? i was really lucky to work with some some brilliant folks and to get to go dig into businesses and, and make meaningful investments. We were concentrated so we could you know, be a real participant in the cap table and whatever, whether it's a, a you know, a, a technology company in, in the UK uh, or a, a manufacturer of trucks here in the U S uh, so really loved that in the background of this dozen years or so of equity investing, right. Yeah. Of participating in public markets and, and learning about being a professional investor in the background, my uh, understanding of land changed, hmm. right? So, so growing up, it was a sense of place. It was just my favorite place to be and to get out on the land as much as possible. 
somewhere maybe around high school, and I don't know why it took that long, but there's that moment of recognition of this is a lot of rice, right? Yeah. This is a lot of cotton. And, and realizing that this farm served a purpose much greater than me, right? It wasn't just for me to go out and enjoy, but we were actually growing food for people. And, you know, being around cotton a lot, we were growing people's clothes. And that realization of the, the impact that this has on, on society and, and the, the positive benefits that it carries with it was pretty meaningful. So I, I think just that got me interested in land and uh, interested in, uh, look, we, we always grew up. Um, my mom was uh, the breadwinner in the house as the entrepreneur, and my, my dad was the farmer, right? Oh. And, and I can remember them uh, arguing over, like, like intensely, some of their biggest fights was him wanting to buy 40 acres. Yeah. Right. And, hey, we don't have that kind of money. We don't need to get that kind of a loan. But he had this obsession with land, and unfortunately that transferred to me. And so, <laughs> so I uh, was, was really lucky to have a good job and to be able to save up some money. And I started getting into buying land myself. And over that dozen years, I uh, was buying and selling land and just fell in love with it. And throughout that, even, even throughout that, I'm not sure that I really viewed it as an asset, right? Mm. Or as this like Excel spreadsheet thing. I viewed it as something I just loved. Yeah. And it was really fun. And had a had a buddy. We started talking about: Do we want to, you know, start a farmland fund, or do you want to go build something out like that? And, you know, look, that already exists out there. There's quite a bit of it, and I'm, I'm not sure that's the feeling that that I'm after. But it made me start to evaluate and understand land as an asset, as as this numbers thing. And when skinning that out, it's like, whoa, this is like I spent a dozen years in in Microsoft Excel every day and mm-hmm. writing writing reports. How have I missed that, like, my favorite thing, the most interesting thing to me, uh, makes this Excel sing, right? Yeah. In, in that, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about all the financial uh, diversification benefits or inflation benefits of land. I think most folks are aware of that at this point. But, wow, there's trillions of dollars of this stuff. And mm. is there a way that, for me, like, emotionally, can I be involved in this every day? And uh, that's how we got to the idea of this business is really uh, – to put it bluntly, I was speaking to my dad. He's, he's much older, uh, so in his mid-80s this time. And he was telling me he wanted to buy some Bitcoin. And I called him. I, I won't use the words on this podcast, <laughs> but a, a blank idiot. Yeah, uh, I just couldn't believe he would do something so stupid. By the way, Bitcoin was like 500 bucks, right? Like yeah. miserable, miserable advice from me to my dad. Uh, but in me just lambasting him about this idea of digital assets, he was like, man... And he and I had been buying land together as well, right? He's like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could figure out a way to use a token for land and create a land token? And again, I missed the boat. Uh, hmm. I told him tokens are for fools. There's not a chance I would ever do that. Probably be on a yacht right now if we had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but again, he really like kept pressing this idea of, is, is there a way we can get more people to participate in the land? So not going and building a fund with pensions and endowments, things like that, but, you know, letting everyday investors invest. And there had just been some laws passed under the Jobs Act uh, that did allow this type of business to exist. Hmm. So that was a a pretty exciting moment, uh, spitballing this with my dad to like, oh my gosh, this is all I can think about. And Hmm. so all I could do was work on a business plan and think this through and have every friend I could find challenge the business plan, every lawyer I could find challenge it because... They're, uh, what we do is legally complex, to say the least. 
um, but it all seemed to work. Mm. You know, as a person that analyzed businesses for a living, it was what I, and I backstory. I'd built a, a lot of business plans over the years. Most of them were really, really bad. Um, but I, I did always, I did always want have this passion of I someday I want to build a business and be an operator rather than just an investor sure. in businesses. And this was this like dream come true. It was the best of both worlds, and it actually made sense on paper. It was something that uh, I was intensely interested in mechanically as a as a business, um, financially as a business, and also emotionally uh, mm. as a business as well. Mm. Wow. So so land goes from this sense of place to really becoming something for you that serves a larger purpose because of really the impact that it has on our world and thus the first thoughts of Acre Trader. Mechanical, financial, and emotional interest in land has driven Carter Malloy and Acre Trader to where it is today. Next week, we hear more about growth and the importance of middle America and staying home. At Seasons Podcast, our purpose is to educate people about land investment with the goal of seeing a hundred people who don't currently own land become landowners. Our method is helping people reconnect with land through hearing other people's stories. Connect with us on our website at delta-farmland.com. You can go to our Seasons podcast page to get more information about AcreTrader and our social platforms. Thank you.